This WBEZ podcast is supported by the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Suicide is a topic that hides in the shadows. It's time we talk away the dark, learn how to spot the warning signs for suicide, and how you can have an open, caring, real conversation to help save lives. Visit the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention to watch the new short film and learn more at AFSP.org slash talkawaythedark. Good afternoon, I'm Erin Allen, and this is The Rundown. Inflation, high gas prices, having to pull up your calculator app in the grocery store line. For many of us, this past year has been pretty much trash when it comes to money and how much things cost. Now, things are starting to ease up a little bit, but all these fluctuations likely have you thinking about money in different ways these days. Almost like because of outside factors, you just don't have enough control over your finances. But I know I've had to ask myself a few times, did I ever even have that much control? Maybe it's less about how times are and more about how we are, how we think about money and the stories we tell ourselves about how to get it, how to keep it and how to spend it. Brad Klontz has a job I never knew existed. He's a financial psychologist. He's also a professor at Creighton University's Hyder College of Business, and he's all over TikTok under the handle Dr. Brad Klontz. Today, me and Brad are going to talk about how to adjust your personal psychology around money in a way that'll serve you whether you're in a time of abundance or a time of scarcity. Brad, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. So these days, you're talking to students and podcast listeners about psychology and money, but you didn't grow up very wealthy, right? I'd love to hear about your personal story and how that plays into you doing this work. Yeah, absolutely. So I um, grew up, my father was a high school teacher. My mom was a kindergarten teacher. And um, that put us, I would say, solid, like working class, but they split when I was two, at which point we sunk further below that. I, my mom likes to say that when I was growing up, we were middle class, except lower. And I'm like, <laughs> mom, mom, they have words for that. You know? but, okay. Yeah. All right. We got it. We got it. Um, yeah. So that, that, that was my upbringing. And um, I come from a family of really hard workers, good people. And I was always sort of struck as a kid, you know, how come we don't have any money? Like mm-hmm. how come nobody owns anything? How come there's not a name on a building? And so I, I got really curious about that. And a big part of that led to my trying to uncover, you know, what what's the difference between people who seem to climb the socioeconomic ladder over generations and then groups of people like my family, which, you know, some branches have been in the United States, you know, since the Mayflower. Yeah. Like, you know, why are we living in, in relative squalor <laughs> given what could have happened and and the trajectory other people took? So you're doing a lot of work right now on TikTok and elsewhere to demystify what wealth is and how to access it. And I'm wondering if, you know, that story that you have about your own life and your own self as a child, is that what makes that important to you? Yeah, I mean, that that really is what makes it important to me. I I do a lot of work for financial planners and how to understand the psychology behaviors and a lot of research related to that. Yeah. But to be honest with you, my, my passion is to um, work with young people and to try to attempt to be the the mentor I wish I had when I was young, because there's a lot of terrible information. Let me just start by saying that. I mean, that's really what got me on TikTok. I'm a little embarrassed to say it, <laughs> um, but, you know, because TikTok is what it is. But I, my nephews were showing me this app several years ago and, you know, funny things with cats and dogs, really funny, engaging videos. And then mm-hmm. I saw a day trading video pop up and oh. I was like, whoa, this is back. And I was thinking, well, of course it's back. You know, I thought it went away at the tech bubble, but I realized 
what it was, was lower income, young people who had heard about investing, who want to change their lives, who want to make their lives better and make their family better. And they're just looking for a way to do it. And I realized there was a lot of terrible information out there. And I got really passionate about putting out um, accurate information. Uh, speaking of information, um, you are a researcher also, um, and you use in your research the term money script a lot. How would you define that? Yeah, money scripts are was my attempt to make sense of these stories that we have around money, how it works, you know, what it's supposed to do for us, the meaning it has in our lives, my ability to have more of it. Yeah. Our beliefs really fundamentally predict our outcomes. So Mm -hmm. your beliefs around money are going to directly relate to your relationship with money, your income. And our studies have found like directly to your income, your net worth, your credit card behaviors. So they have a profound impact on our financial outcomes. And so it's a really good idea to understand what they are. What is one or two money scripts that you've that you've come across in your research? I know you everyone has a different one probably is probably as unique as we are as people. Um, but yeah, I'd love to know a couple examples. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I, I got into day trading when I got out of grad school. I owed a hundred thousand dollars in student loan debt. I thought that's what rich people did. <laughs> so I sold everything I had of value. Like, I mean, this sounds extreme, and it actually was pretty extreme. And I started to day trade with it. And I did great for a while. And then I lost all my money Mm. when the tech bubble burst. And this is when I got real curious. I'm like, why would a reasonably intelligent person do something so dumb with his money? Mm. Um, And so I went home and I started interviewing my family members, my mother. What was it like for you growing up around money? What was it like for grandma, grandpa? And I heard this story about my maternal grandfather. He went to the bank one day and all the money was gone. It was the Great Depression. Um, And so he developed a belief, a money script. You can't trust banks with your money. Now, 100% 100% accurate belief back then, right? Because literally went to the bank and his money was gone. You literally could not trust banks back then. But what I didn't realize is that he held on to that belief his entire life. He died in his 90s. He never put a dollar in the bank the rest of his life. And so if you want a good strategy for being poor for generations, it's just be, be unbanked, right? <laughs> just keep your money in a little box um, and just let inflation destroy it. And, and that was his approach, but he was traumatized by that. Yeah. And so my mom came along and she didn't trust investing. It makes sense, right? My mm-hmm. grandpa didn't trust banks. So I come along and this, this is the way these patterns run in your families. And I'm like, I don't want to be poor like these people. So I'm not going to hold on to that one. And then I swung to the opposite extreme. So that's an example of money script. And, and what's so profound about these things is sometimes it, it's three generations back. You don't even know what happened. Okay. But you're carrying that mindset. You've inherited it. It's very, very powerful. That's why I, I'm a big advocate of understanding your family story around money, um, not just your experiences, but what was it like for your parents, your grandparents? These things get passed down to us. Oh, wow. Um, this is kind of like the sounds like going in and, and healing your inner child <laughs> uh, when it comes to money. Absolutely. The reason we call it money scripts, quite often it's like a script that was written for a play but you don't even know who wrote this thing. Yeah. I mean, this this could be mm. like generations in the past. Yeah. And um, and this is what makes it so fascinating to do sort of like look into your family like you're an anthropologist, yes. you know, like I literally sat down, mom, what was it like for you growing up around money? How did you feel about growing up poor? You know, all these things that she starts to talk about, uh, it, it starts to make my whole relationship with money starts to make sense. Yeah. She's reading your lines. <laughs> Exactly. And, you know, we all adapt those lines a little bit and everything, but, you know, we don't start as a blank slate. 
we inherit this stuff. Mm. And so if you want to take charge of your financial life, you got to know your story. You know, we're, we're in a time of high stress when it comes to our finances. It seems like the price of everything has gone up. But for a lot of us, our income hasn't changed to account for that. How can being in a state of stress, right? Say my money script just causes me to stress out. How does that impact our decisions about money? Sometimes stress is just a change we're looking to adapt to. So it's not bad in and of itself. But the one of the big problems is that too much stress is actually deadly. Like it'll actually kill you. I mean, there's a lot yeah. of studies to back that up. Bad for the heart. Yeah. And money has been a source of stress, the top source of stress in the lives of Americans for the past couple decades since we've been studying it. Um, and so keeping things in perspective, managing it well, really does matter. And I do have a tip for, for you on this. I call it the worst case scenario exercise. And um, my wife and I did this during COVID. I, I trained a lot of people to do this. Um, and so the worst case scenario exercise goes like this. So if I lost my job, what would happen? Well, well, for, I'd feel terrible um, and it would be bad. And then you might say, well, then what would happen? Well, maybe I lose my house. Ooh, that would be rough. But then what would happen? And if you keep tracing that all the way down, um, you'll land in some very uncomfortable situation. Like for me, when my wife and I did this, we'd be living with a sibling or a, a, one of our parents. And, you know, I take it on the chin. My self-esteem would be devastated. You know, Dr. Brad, you know, has to go live with his mom, um, you know, and, and I, uh, it would be pretty rough. But we would rise from the ashes. You know what I'm saying? Okay. Like, that's what we do. Huh. Um, and my kids would probably love it. Just to be honest, it'd be probably one of the best times of their lives um, living with their grandparents or extended wow. family members. And we would recreate this thing. So just just that work, worst case scenario exercise is a psychological sort of intervention that exposes you to that anxiety. And at the end of the day, you're going to realize, you know, look, it, it's my car. That doesn't really matter. You know, my house, it's that doesn't really matter. Um, and what does matter? It's connection. It's feelings of, um, you know, safety, security, and, and we can make that happen in the worst case scenario. You know, this is this is really making me think about um, the parts of your research that really get into why we value money and what is really behind those values about money. Um, you had done a study on what would motivate people to save more of their money? I'd love to hear about that study with those um, those valuable objects that you invited people to bring in. Yeah, so we were trying to figure out how could we get people to save more money? So that was sort of the research question. And we did a lot of different things. So we had them bring in a sentimental object from their childhood. Some people brought in like a, a brooch from grandma, you know, a picture of a family vacation, that kind of thing. We use that as a bridge to then identify your values. There's a reason you're holding on to this. You know, it, what does it mean for you? And people thought, you know, connection, safety, security, adventure. There's some some value associated mm -hmm. with it. Then we had people identify their top three financial goals. And I think this is some of the most important things that we did. We had them create visual representations of these future goals. We had them close their eyes, imagine them, you know, what, what is it? You know, oh, it's, it's a certain car you want. Okay, how does it feel? What color is it? You know, it's that early retirement. Well, where are you? What are you doing? Had them create representations of this. And this is kind of what you need to do. You need to harness that emotional brain. That's the part of the brain that, that makes most of our decisions. And quite frankly, we are wired right now to consume as much as possible 
and not think about the future. This mm. is the human condition, right? Talk about it. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and this is why it's tough to diet, right? Um, because yes. we, our bodies are wired, eat more sugar, eat more fat, eat more salt as much as you can. Mm-hmm. Um, this is how our ancestors survived. So you have to um, engage that part of the brain if you want to overcome that desire to consume financially too. And um, the only way to do that really is to get super excited about very, very specific goals. And so, because these were attached to their values, they cared about this more than they cared about whatever else they wanted to spend their money on before quite unconsciously. And that's where we saw that massive increase. And so the take home point here is that if you want to save more, you have to get super specific about why you're doing it. And it has to really matter to you. And if you do that, um, you'll become unstoppable. 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 That was Brad Klontz, financial psychologist and professor at Creighton University's Hyder College of Business. We're going to talk with Brad again later this week, not just about your relationship with money, but the relationship between you, your kids, your partner, and your money. At the end of the day, a successful relationship is a series of successful negotiations. Now, that does not sound very romantic, I'll admit, (laughs) (laughs) but that's basically how we make it work. That's coming up at two on Wednesday. As for now, that's it for the rundown. Big thanks to Justin Bull for producing this episode and to show editor Ariel Van Cleve. I'm Erin Allen, and I'll see you early tomorrow morning. 